No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and joining me again this week on the program is nobody. At least nobody that I can see here. I'm alone in the basement right now. The furnace is off. It's nine below right now in Minnesota, so I'm going to record this as quickly as I can. <laughs> no stalling, no no cutbacks, no nothing. I'm going to try to get this done before the house freezes solid. So, uh, appropriately, this week I'm looking at the opposite of what we looked at last week, which was cryonics and not cryogenics. Uh, this week we're going to look at the total flip side of that, which I will get into in a moment. But before I do so, I will say, as always, first of all, thank you for listening. I consider it insane that uh, I get to do this, period. This is just uh, icing on the cake of my life. This is nuts that I get to talk to uh, the world at large. And seemingly, people want to hear it? Question mark? Um I don't know. That's just that's wild to me. I mean, you know, I'm vain enough to think my own ideas are <laughs> of merit to keep me propelled through this uh, strange world. But uh, the fact that anybody else would ever want to hear this is just crazy. And thank you for listening. That just means so much that anybody would ever take the time to do so. And uh, it just means the world to me. So uh, if you've got questions, comments, thoughts, feedback, um, anything that you want to let me know about why I was dead wrong about cryonics and cryogenics, I'm happy to hear it, happy to have the conversation because that's the only way I'm going to learn. I'm, you know, realizing in hindsight that was a pretty harsh stance I took on it last week. But on the flip side, uh, it doesn't seem to work yet. Uh, nobody's come back from being frozen. Um, I guess maybe it's just kicking the can down the road and you want to wake up in the year 2700 and see what the world has turned into. But it proved me wrong, kids. Proved me wrong. Um, if you've got comments, feedback, whatever have you, please send it to yourdead2 at gmail.com or find me on Twitter or Instagram at yourdead2, Y-O-U-R-E-D-E-A-D-T-O-O. I will be happy to respond as accordingly as I can. And as always, uh, like I said, thank you for listening. So without further ado, let's get into the subject at hand this week, body brokers. Body brokers. Uh, They don't like that term. So I'm going to talk about it. Um, I kind of, you know, I struggled trying to come up with something for this week after having so much fun last week. And then I realized I was thinking too hard about it. And instead of going, you know, some esoteric weird route of what other kooky things can people do? Just look at it from the flip side. Cryonics and preserving your body after death like that is such a show of means of means, you know, having the resources, having the cash available to pay for that. Um, as I was explaining what we, I, you know, what I went over last week to my better half, she, first question she had were, well, what happens if your money runs out or what happens if, you know, the company goes bust and rightly so, uh, didn't know what to tell her because we haven't run into that other than the company goes bust and the people are thawed and disposed of, um, so this is a real interesting case of, you know, the haves and the have-nots. So with this week's episode then, the flip side of that, if you don't have the resources, you know, we talked about this a little bit in 
the funeral episode, you know, what happens if you can't cover the cost and how does that get dealt with? Um, this was something that wasn't really covered in that. I didn't, uh, I didn't come up on this in my research for that, which kind of interesting that I didn't just the, I feel like I'm getting so far into the material and feeling like I'm getting a good sense of things, but then I come across something like this and it's a real stark reminder of, oh, I'm just scratching the surface. I'm just getting into actual, you know, material here of relevance and impact. So this was something that I had actually kind of come up on the idea by reading Mary Roach's book, Stiff, um, which I loved, by the way. Uh, I, you know, I talked previously about her book, Spooked, and I was not a huge fan of that. And Mary, I'm sorry if word somehow got back to you, but Stiff, holy cow. I, you know, maybe it's just a slightly different subject matter, or it's just what your mindset, well, I don't know. Just, it felt way different. And maybe it's just about the practicality of it, and there's less of a... Um, <laughs> less of a charlatan angle to deal with. You know, there's there's far less uh, prevalence of uh, hucksterism, <laughs> of uh, swindlers, you know. this is It's a much more practical book about what happens with bodies after they die and how, you know, different things can be uh, tested and uh, anything from body farms to... Uh, military explosive ordnance or uh, seat belts, um, all of the various testings and things. It's just, it's a completely different book, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, came recommended to me from a uh, good friend of mine, Sam Smith. Hopefully, a future guest on the podcast, Sam. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, no pressure. But uh, loved the book, but kept coming across the notion of body donation and what uh, the ethical impacts of it are. Um, so as I was getting ready for this, it was quickly becoming apparent, like, oh, this is the total inverse to cryonics in that somebody with lots of money says, I want to live forever or, free, you know, freeze me and bring me back out in the future. And they've got lots of money to do it. This is basically a body broker is somebody who recognizes that there is a market for people who don't have the resources to pay for a funeral and as a result, they step in to say, we will provide cremation at no charge so long as you donate the body to our organization, which we will use the body for testing, after which uh, the body will be cremated and returned to you uh, free of charge. But that's not exactly what happens. So I keyed into this from an amazing Reuters article written by um, Brian Groh and John Schiffman, um, published back in 2017, I believe. Maybe it was 2015. Uh, let me just double-check my notes here. Uh, 2017, Brian Groh, John Schiffman, filed uh, October 24th, 2017. This article is amazing and goes into horrendous detail. But uh, it really... It delves into the idea of bodies being traded as raw material in an unrelated, unregulated market. So, so what? What does that mean? Um, 
to paint with a broad stroke here, it's the potential for violating the dignity of the dead. Um, what has come up in the past, you know, with the notion of cadavers and donating bodies to science, it's been <laughs> morally dubious at best, legally a gray area. Um, in the 1800s, Burke and Hare were kind of the famous grave robbers as such. So the nuts and bolts of it, forgive the phrase, is that there's no substitute for a human body when it comes to certain things for uh, medical procedures and experimentation and learning and development of medicine and technology. It's it's not happy, fun, pleasant work, but it's the best option possible. So if you're training for uh, surgical practice or cosmetic surgery practice, maybe that's one of the things that Mary talks about in her book, uh, Stiff, uh, there's just no substitute. You you get such a tactile, hands-on experience with it that anything else simply pales in comparison. And, you know, with uh, criminal forensics, for example, uh, tracing bullet paths and things, yes, there's ballistic gel that you can use, for example, but again, nothing quite simulates the human body for this. It's not that people have a... Um, morbid sense of, oh, the only way to get an answer is to really crush up a human... No, it's the idea that there is nothing like the real thing. It's the best way for somebody to learn hands-on, but the ways to get that, other than having somebody willingly donate their body, is exceedingly difficult. So in the 1800s, Burke and Hare were two murderers who murdered people and sold their bodies to science because that was the only way to regularly produce uh, fresh... Um, you know, undecomposed bodies to be used and studied. Um, we've kind of gotten back to that uh, that element of not grave robbing, but preying on the unwitting to line your pocketbook while donating to science. Now, everything I'm saying is coming from my understanding of this Reuters article. So if anything approaches... <laughs> slander or um, defamation, uh, please let me know. I'll, I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm speaking in general terms here, um, but I'm just I'm relaying the information that I'm seeing here without any specifics that I'm attributing to any particular person, so hopefully the... Um, well, I'll shut up now. But what I've come across in Mary Roach's book Stiff was this was all about the practical and ethical use of the recently deceased. Um, how do we best make use of this, knowing we should treat the dead with respect? And so, in uh, passages, for example, she talks about automotive industry standard testing for impact and collision, and there's a lot of care given for the people whose bodies have been donated, and an element of anonymity to it as well, like they are given hoods to wear that cover their face. So it's, it's, I can't quite put my finger on how to describe it, but it's, it's, you're trying to still afford some dignity to somebody who is, uh, who is no longer there. Um, 
but that's being afforded to people with the means to guarantee that. So this is potentially preying on the grieving and destitute. Um, the lack of regulation for it tends to show that there is a lack of consequences for it. Um, this is a weird bubble of almost like a negative zone of legal implication in that because we don't really want to acknowledge it and talk about it, we don't really have a strong set of laws in place to safeguard against it. And that's some of the information later on in the article where they give a specific tale of somebody who was donating their body and they found out it was later used for explosive ordnance testing in uh, the army. And while they certainly had an emotional case to show, you know, what the hell, basically, this, how is this, this is not what somebody wished for. At the same time, it's not technically violating a law on the books as they're written. And so upsetting though it may be, they're not actually breaking the law, which that's a hard thing where eh, your hands are kind of tied. So with, again, the lack of regulation, we're not, I mean, how do you punish somebody if there's no law on the books other than ostracizing and shaming, you know? So the best potential consequence is like unlawful pollution, which is not, I mean, yeah. uh, but that was a weird, rare moment of uh, transparent revulsion for me. I don't know. You really give the ewes on this podcast. Um, forgive me for sniffing. But like I said, the best way for paramedics, surgeons, you know, all of this testing is to have an actual body. But what what are we doing here? So there's a cycle that kind of breaks this all down on the Reuters article that it starts with soliciting donors. So these body brokers solicit donors online or via funeral homes, hospices, hospitals. Um, donors are told that they'll receive uh, – a free cremation, and that the the body will be used to contribute to the general body of science. That you know, this is a a compassionate thing to do, a generous thing to do as your last act. Uh, they get their consent. That uh, a donor can sign a consent form giving their body to a broker before dying, or um, the next of kin can sign the form after death. And actually, if the person who is if the actual person isn't the one who signs the documentation, the next of kin, the direct next of kin. They could just say, uh, the hell with the funeral, we're donating to science, and this is it. Like, they actually can, <laughs> spitefully, if you want, just say, yeah, here you go. Go nuts. Take what you want. Give us the cremains back, and we'll just go with that. Like, you can, it's, I'd never really considered before, like, you could just say the hell with it and just skip the whole funeral if you're a real spiteful person. So, anyway, uh, what happens then is, you know, so the, the consent forms are signed. Uh, then we go into medical checks. So, after death... The broker assesses the body's medical history and physical condition, weight, surgical implants, scars, and tests it for infectious disease, basically clearing the body in that, you know, is there anything unanticipated that we would have to watch for? Are there, you know, anything that would come up in use of practical testing? Like if you've had a hip replacement, that would certainly be noteworthy if you are doing any kind of um, testing related to the joints or uh, basically – is this going to impede any kind of scientific work done? After that, the broker either restrains um, – I'm sorry. 
they retain the whole cadaver, um, you know, they keep the whole body, or they dissect it. And most bodies are cut into six parts, such as the head, torso, arms, and legs, or in some cases it's the torso and the legs together. It's kind of depending on what the um, general customer stream is for that particular broker. If they know that somebody is looking for a number of elbows for a carpal tunnel study, they may provide just the arms, or if they're looking for a particular, um, you know, foot study, they might be shipping feet off to a particular customer. So at that point, if requested, a portion of the body not sold for research and education is cremated and within weeks is returned to the next of kin. Fingers crossed, hopefully that's what happens. Uh, next step is placing an order. A broker's client, such as a medical device company, submits an order for body parts. Um, like I said, 27 elbows for a surgical training seminar, for example. Um, after that, the broker assesses its inventory, provides a price quote for the body parts, and if accepted, sells or rents the body parts to the client. Uh, the term renting there, not my favorite iterance of that. Um, after that, the rented body parts are returned to the broker for potential reuse or destruction. Uh, body parts sold to the clients are cremated after research or training and disposed, and then the whole process starts over again. So that's... I mean, on one level, I've just described basically any commercial enterprise. Like, that's, it's just, <laughs> it's my, uh, my old life of uh, treasury and payment systems coming back to haunt me of, like, yeah, it's just inventory in and out and organizing the, the raw material flow of we've got these coming in, we've got these going out. Um, but the problem is you're kind of working in an unregulated market and this is something that left unregulated has the potential for abuse through cost cutting and corner cutting. Um, in most states, it should be noted anyone can legally purchase body parts. Uh, in the Reuters example, they specifically you know, after a couple of emails, we're able to purchase a skull and a couple of spinal pieces just, you know, back and forth. Here you go. Here's my credit card information. And that's wild that you can do that. I mean, first of all, I, oh God, I can't even, I can't, I can't, I don't know how to get into that. <laughs> first of all, um, Shouldn't there be something on the books? Maybe there shouldn't. I don't know. It seems like something where we should have something on the books to say maybe this is not something that you can just ship away for. And also, if the, mm, you would think it would be a real impediment to, you know, serial killers and, you know, was it not the same for Jeffrey Dahmer if he didn't create the fresh parts himself? What if he could have just ordered away for it? But this is not, uh, ah, I'll let that go. Um, anyway, so there's, that's an example of how little regulation there is on top of all of this, that you can just, you know, any company can just pay for this. You can just, here you go, here's, you know, the right funds for this, and then they just ship you ahead frozen, and it comes via UPS or, you know, FedEx, whatever, like, you would think there would be more oversight to this given, like, you're just shipping it. And yeah, there is some... Uh, I'm just... Christ on a crutch, I'm being a moron today. 
I, <laughs> I just, this is just wild stuff and I don't know how to really process it because it's, it is, it's, it's violating the sanctity of the dead by not respecting their wishes. But at the same time, it's, so people have been bankrupted by funeral costs, not funeral costs, They've been bankrupted by the medical cost of somebody dying or, frankly, just the fact that this is America and you have to have five jobs all paying minimum wage just to try to make ends meet. You don't have the savings. Like most people, most people don't have savings in this country, period. And so when somebody passes away, you've got a life insurance policy, if you're lucky, that you're able to pay the cost of the funeral and then literally anything else after that. Like people might just use it to pay down debt that they have because this place is a dystopian nightmare and that's it's capitalism to the very end is that we just, uh, you know, your death is worth something but only as much as you were when you were producing capital. So you, it, dying is expensive. You break the bank in the process of dying because the medical industry here is painfully expensive. People don't want to just say the hell with it and just let them die. You know, they want somebody to die with dignity or they might be fighting tooth and nail against somebody dying period and just refusing to accept the fact that this happens to everybody and, you know, not accepting the reality of people are doomed from the start. That's the act of being born is that we will eventually die. Throwing money at the problem isn't going to stop it you know it's it's delaying the inevitable um so once somebody has been financially sapped they're being found by these body brokers who are striking at an opportune time to say we know you can't afford the funeral why don't you work with us and they're stepping in as the intermediary there and they're the ones making all the money and then giving you back what is hopefully your deceased relative um you don't even have a guarantee of that. The article uh, specifically highlights a case where they got back sand instead of actual cremains. Like, not everybody does this the wrong way, I should clarify. They give examples of people who have done this the right way, and as is always the case, it's just prohibitively expensive. You could sink millions of dollars into doing this the right way, and then, you know, just it, like anything else, it's expensive to keep doing this the right way, to keep things clean, to keep things upright, to keep things sterile and venerated and properly respectful of the dead. Or you can just cut corners and get a warehouse and just have a couple, like, the, what was the figure that I saw here? Uh, the, <laughs> the, typically, Done right is expensive, but oftentimes it's just a cargo van and a couple of freezers. That was the example that I saw. That was really upsetting. Of just like, it shouldn't be so ramshackle, just Mickey Mouse operation of just throwing this together. Again, everybody dies. This is not a new special thing, but having respect for the dead does seem like it serves a moral benefit to society, but I'm not the moral police here. But I, again, it just... It doesn't bode well, I would say. It doesn't doesn't foster a good community to just treat people like a commodity in their death. Um, with so little oversight, it's not known exactly how often this happens, but um, in 2015, figures estimated that there were some 50,000 body donations um, with additional parts beyond that. But again, it's, it's hard to get a direct number of this to figure out hard numbers. Um, 
So on top of that, you do have funeral homes working with body brokers to kind of do a, a handshake referral system where they recognize that a family is not in the financial standing to pay for the traditional funeral and do what they would hope for, and so they refer them to a donation service. Again, this is not – I'm not intending to paint with a broad brush to say screw all of these body broker people because they, they particularly don't like that term body broker. And yet that's the name of the article on Wikipedia when you go searching for it. You know, that's kind of one of the ways I got tipped off of this is looking at my usual haunts on the web and seeing, well, what's a body broker? And initially thinking, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's a, it's a system where you, you know, from a high-level view, it doesn't seem that bad. And then you start digging – again, forgive the phrase – digging into it, and you find, oh, God, there's a lot of – there's a lot of legal gray area here where there's just no oversight and you can – it's like anything where people are disadvantaged and there's the possibility to make money off of them. You're going to have somebody doing it the wrong way. You're going to have somebody doing it the right way, and it's people doing it the wrong way that give all of the people doing it the right way the bad name. I've had family donate their bodies to science, um, but it just I, – I guess – not caveat emptor, but get a sense of what you're signing up for or uh, signed consent knowing what you're signing up for. It's just it's, – it's so difficult, and it's <sighs> – I don't mean to be a bummer, but it's weird, heavy stuff, and that's why I'm here. It seems wrong to – knowingly profit on the grieving and then to be callous with the remains of their loved ones. And I think that's kind of what I've been dealing with in reading about this so much for the past week that all of the care that Mary Roach writes about with respect for the dead and respecting their anonymity or their their remains, you know, giving some semblance of there are, you know, not everybody deals with it the same way. And the in the passages about plastic surgeons who are training on uh, heads, basically, you know, there are people who deal with it in different ways of making jokes and being detached from it. But there is also really moving passages about funeral services and ceremonies that basically pay homage and pay respect and give gratitude for having the opportunity to do so. It's the ultimate uh, it's the ultimate sacrifice of saying this this vessel is no longer needed. Please use this as you can to increase the human body of knowledge. People do this with respect. You know, it's possible to do this reverently and with some respect, but to see it done to just make money, I mean, I've run into this time and again doing this podcast of just where the rubber meets the road, where where dollars meet sense, or dollars meet sense. Good God, shut up, John. Um, there's just, there's no end to it, you know? There will always be the ability to overlook anything squeamish to make a dollar. And, and I don't want to come across as some bleeding heart, super liberal, socialist, uh, you know, hippie with uh, 
daisies in the barrels of guns, you know, I just, it seems like a lack of empathy in what would otherwise be a situation that doesn't call for much beyond just the basic humanity. Um, There's such an evolutionary, deeply ingrained history to show, yeah, we do stuff with our dead bodies. We bury them, or we honor them somehow, or we give a ceremony or something. And to be able to willingly overlook that, to be able to just try to make, you know, a couple grand on this person's body and not use the proper equipment and to not properly store it. And it's just the lack of oversight is just really, it's crazy. You know, you're supposed to use particular types of medical equipment to dissect the bodies, for example, and yet there are repeated instances of these cut rate businesses doing it just with chainsaws. Like that seems wrong, feels wrong, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a... A senator or congressman. I'm not. I'm not somebody who has the power to pass laws of any kind, and I'm not claiming to have that knowledge. But it just. I can say sitting here uh, seems weird. You know that doesn't feel right. But hey, again, write in. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm full of it. Please let me know because if I don't have this debate with somebody, if I don't talk about it, I'm not going to learn. You know. But if you're going to be invoicing somebody for body parts, it seems you know, just at face value, treat them with a little bit of respect, you know, I, I, but again, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm, uh, growing weary of humanity's lack of concern for each other, but I just, I don't see how trying to be kind to other people and showing deference to other people is somehow a loss, You know, I don't see why you have to be cold and callous to get ahead in the world. Yeah, there's always somebody who's going to be enterprising and hardworking and see an opportunity where there is none. Like, yeah, that's – I'm not indicting the entire funeral industry. It's just – it seems like maybe don't just, you know, operate this out of a warehouse and spray down bodies so that the stuff runs into the streets you know there's again it's all the bad apples giving the good ones a bad name it's just i had no idea how unregulated this market was so again my apologies if this comes across as a, as a giant indictment of the the industry of tissue donation and what body brokers prefer to be called as non-transplant tissue banks. Like, well, yeah, that's a very elegant term to give it, but you're brokering the sale of a body. You're a body broker, and I would love to be proven wrong, but it seems like it's uh, pretty cut and dried. And again, forgive the phrase, but maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. Maybe I'm just uh, tilting at windmills, to use the old phrase, but I don't know. I just I would think that if you're if you're going to have the the strength of character to go into what is so potentially unappealing of an industry that most people would shy away from it just out of the squeamishness, you would also have the mental character and fortitude to say, "All right, don't just chuck them around like furniture. 
treat them like bodies and treat them with respect. But again, I don't know. Am I asking too much from my fellow people? I hope not. And again, I'm just some nobody on the internet talking about something that is interesting to him. And uh, tell me I'm wrong. I'm happy to hear it because it's the only way I learn. So again, I don't want to come across as a downer, but this is just a crazy look at the flip side, the cryonics, where uh, if you don't have the means, which is most people in this country, uh, this is something to be aware of. I used to get mailers for cremain services like this just as a resident of the suburbs here in Minnesota, and I was not aware that like, oh, that was not like a benevolent thing. That was somebody basically soliciting like, hey, anybody out there dying? Because you can make some money by donating to science. Like, it, the second you peek under the hood, things seem different. So... I don't know. I don't even know. This is, it's, I didn't want to go into this with a lighthearted attitude, but I didn't think that it would be coming down on this as harshly as I am. But man, weird stuff and a weird flip side to the madcap levity of cryonics. This is the the sad reality of uh, selling bodies for parts. There's an ethical way to do it. And I just, it would be, something to aspire to, to be able to treat people with more respect. So, um, again, thank you for listening. My apologies if this has come across as hectoring or, you know, strident and, uh, you know, a downer in some way. But I will, uh, I will gladly hear people's input to, uh, let me know how to course correct. So thank you as always. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.